Yeah, as opposed to, you know, Grant running whiskey and having <laughs> cronies, she missed a jury duty. <laughs> Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted podcast about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And we are back this week, this 4th of July week. I hope you all are having a great time out there this weekend, or not weekend, it's in the middle of the week this year, which is a little annoying, but we thought that we would go with a little bit patriotic, at least in the title and the content, and do An American Daughter by Wendy Wasserstein this week. This is a play that was written and uh, performed for the first time out in Seattle in 1996, and it was a pretty auspicious cast. Um, amongst the uh, the cast included uh, such famous actors like Meryl Streep and Julianne Moore as the uh, two main women in this story. And interestingly, and, uh, uh, Wendy Wasserstein included in my copy of the script a preface where she described kind of the creation of the play. And Meryl Streep is actually also involved in one of the first stage readings before that production out mm. in Seattle at the Lincoln Center. So you know that your play is like set to succeed when uh, Meryl <laughs> Streep is in your readings. <laughs> right, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's its hard to not picture her voice having, I, I knew that going into it and it's hard to not picture her voice doing Lissa because it is very much her cadence and I wonder if she had a little bit of bearing on some of the lines that wound up being in there. Um, but then it went, it proceeded on to the Lincoln Center in Broadway and it had a full run, I think something around 80 some performances. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the the main history. Oh, and a other little tidbit, the actress who played Judith in this play, Lynn Thigpin for the, uh, the play on Broadway, won the uh, best featured actress, uh, Tony, for that. So it is a well-received play in that way as well. Yeah, it didn't actually get nominated for Best Play when it was on the Tonys. This is another thing um, from the preface that she included in my copy of the script. And there's there's some about that because the play got kind of mixed reviews in its Broadway run. Um, part of it was just that, you know, Wendy Wasserstein is, is known for more comic plays. And this is, to some people's mind, I don't know that I agree with that, and, and we'll see what Jackson thinks, but to some people's mind, this is a comic playwright trying to write a serious piece of drama. And in her preface, she kind of says, that's not really what I was trying to do. Those people got that wrong. Um, blah, 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 blah. But it is interesting that she, and she did say that um, uh, she, you know, some of her critics said, well, it's a play by Wendy. It'll get a Tony nomination whether or not it's good. And so she says in the preface, well, I'm glad it didn't get nominated for a Tony <laughs> just to prove them wrong. Right. <laughs> um, the play them. has just a ton of characters. I probably will not go through them all right now in this kind of brief overarching plot summary because the core of the plot um, doesn't involve all of those characters very directly. What happens, this is a political play. It's interestingly, it's not about maybe the roles in politics that we would typically think to write plays about. Um, Lissa Hughes is the nominee to be Surgeon General. Um, she has been nominated and is in the middle of the confirmation process to be Surgeon General um, when she has an interview. And that, that is about the first act as we sort of learn about Lissa and her friends. Um, they're all very liberal. Um, Lissa's father is a senator from Indiana who is very conservative. And so there, there's some discussions about things, uh, about liberal politics, about um, feminism and things that happen. Her husband is a sociologist that's written a pretty famous book. Um, she's got a friend that's a, a really bright, um, no, well-known breast cancer doctor. Um, I, I forget the name of that. What, what's that kind of doctor? Judith. Uh, yeah, oh, I, know, I remember um, Judith. What's the kind of doctor? Oncologist? Right? Oncologist, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she, so there, there's this sort of cast of uh, educated, um, in-the-know folks who have differing political views. And a lot of the first act is you getting introduced to them. And then what happens is that Lissa does this interview with a TV reporter, Timber Tucker, and she it goes badly. And it doesn't really seem to go badly um, right away, but she ends up saying a couple things that it becomes very clear are going to be used against her in the confirmation process. Um 
because of that, there ends up being this sort of storm of news around her. Um, there's kind of two things that cause this news storm. The first is that uh, really unmeaningly, she sort of makes fun of housewives. Um, she was talking about her mother and about how her mother is just this sort of woman that made cakes and, uh, you know, cleaned the house all day. And just sort of she said that sort of flippantly, not not really intending to hurt her mother or to, to make anybody mad, but it's taken badly by the country in an interview about their new Surgeon General. Um, the second thing that is revealed is that at one time throughout her life, she accidentally forgot to respond to a jury summons and nothing ever happened to her. So that's sort of played off in the news media as a sign of her privilege, of her not caring about what the things modern people care about, having to do jury duty and stuff like that. So it all goes fairly badly. There's news storms. In the second act, um, it basically the second act comprises of them getting ready for a second interview, the second interview, and then the aftermath of the second interview, where she tries to make up some of this damage. Um, the second interview goes worse than the first one by leaps and bounds, um, and <laughs> it does not end well at all. Yeah. Um, that's kind of there, there's lots of characters that pop in and out, and there's lots of subplot. Um, which we'll maybe get into more individually, but that's kind of the sweeping scope of the play as it happens throughout the script. Yeah, and and mixed into all of it, you have these this kind of wide array of characters that Lissa and her husband Walter are friends with. You have um, everyone from Judith, who we've mentioned, is her oncology friend, and then there is Morrow, who is an antithesis all in himself in some ways. He is a um, out gay conservative within a friendship, a very close friendship with uh, Lissa and Walter, who are both very strong, liberally minded people. Um, so he is, there's there's these worldviews all spinning around the, this situation that be, become more entangled as as people say what they must say to adhere to their beliefs, but wind up creating a mess out of them in some ways. Absolutely. And the play has a lot of political discussion in it. Um, people discuss their various political viewpoints and put them at odds with each other a lot. It's interesting, though, Jackson, how how political would you say this play actually is in terms of what does it say anything about about politics left or right? I don't think it I don't think its intent is to take a side uh, necessarily in those. I think if anything, initially I thought maybe its intent in the first scene was, or the first scenes especially, was that these people are all still friends. <laughs> they have wildly different viewpoints and they argue all the time. Like they throw comments back and forth. There's a maelstrom of of differing worldviews at various levels in, in the first couple scenes and they all seem to be friends. I think I think likely if if a pretty key mistake that we'll get through in a minute I'm sure hadn't been made they would still be friends at the end of this play. They would all be very opposed to each other but the play almost supports you <laughs> you know not letting relationships suffer as a result of political viewpoints and being willing to live in the tension of varying political viewpoints and recognizing the importance of the friendship nonetheless. Right, yeah. Well, one of the really tender relationships of the play is the father, Lissa's father. Um, his name is Alan. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Alan is Lissa's father, and he, like I said before, is a conservative senator, and she's a very liberal uh, nominee to be Surgeon General. And so their viewpoints differ wildly. You can imagine um, just all the things that liberals and Republicans disagree on, and then try to think about how many of those are medically related. And right. that, that number <laughs> shoots, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and so they have a lot of reason to disagree with each other. And publicly, some of the backstory of the play you learn is that Lissa and Alan have publicly disagreed with each other's stances, acknowledging that they're father and daughter. And yet in the play, they have a really touching relationship, a supportive one, one where they really seem to care about each other, to do their best to help each other, to be willing to sacrifice for each other. And so there's a lot there in just in just that relationship about, you know, the, the, the how primary um, relationships are over politics, over disagreements. Yeah. Yeah. Senator Allen – uh, I think I'm just going to call him Alan from now on because he's not a senator. Not um, a real senator, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Alan, uh, pretty much from the get-go, though he is politically opposed uh, to to some of her viewpoints, he he has her back right away. He is uh, doing the spin for her whenever he's around in a room. Uh, he he handles himself really well in those scenarios to try to spin in her favor, despite uh, probably him disagreeing with a lot of her policies. So yeah, I think if anything, I think if anything, this play chooses to not get political, though it is sitting in the middle of a political conundrum. Right, it's political in content, but not really in theme. Um, mm-hmm. Another another instance of that, uh, we've talked about her friend Morrow, an out gay conservative, and he... Uh, you know, has a pretty crucial backstabbing moment in the first interview. There's some, you know, there's there's maybe some debate, but a lot of what happens is the result of something that he says um, in response. And you get the sense that that mistake was not politically motivated. While a different story might have pinned his backstabbing, his meanness that causes this destruction on on the fact that he's conservative, you know, in a play that is full of liberals. This one, the, his his fault doesn't seem to be in his politics. It seems to be in his personality. Yeah. Um, you know, they they when they ask him why he did it, and they you know uh, you know are mad at him for what he did. It's not because he has certain beliefs. It's because of who he is. They say, well, do you do you really care about anything? Are you uh, is are you just in it for yourself in all these different situations, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, as a way of kind of uh, nailing down what exactly we're talking about uh, during the course of uh, the early part of the interview, I think Walter is the one who brings it up the first. And Walter's time. Lissa's husband. Yes, Walter Liss's husband brings up that she uh, traveled so much and had so much going on. She was always starting a hospital somewhere. Um, did we say that she she is nominated to Surgeon General? Yes, yes. It's okay, it's cool. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's nominated to Surgeon General, and he said uh, previously, uh, before this, she had been going all over the world, you know, starting different clinics, doing different talks, and it got so so busy for her that she would, you know, couldn't even do jury duty. In fact, one time, Walter says, I encouraged her just to you know, not even open it. And uh, and in the course of the conversation, Lissa says, yeah, well, I, I think what I actually did was I misplaced that. And Which kinda, that comment probably would have gone under the radar. Right. I misplaced a jury summons. Nothing ever happened. Sorry about it. But then later then, in the interview, things are getting a little bit heated in the in the sort of back and forth about politics. Um, and in and in response to Morrow being pressured in the interview, he blurts out, sort of deflects to, well, you know, Lissa's clearly an example of this liberal elite who doesn't even have time to do jury duty, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, care about the things that no ordinary Americans care about. And that causes this maelstrom. Yeah, that kind of sparks the reporter who's there kind of doing a family op-ed on on them. He's already had the main interview that he's done and he's just there to get like, you know, maybe a minute of content, a minute or two yeah, of I content. Yeah, he says most of this we're not going to use. It's just for kind of background. <laughs> right, yeah. And so he is there to just, um, you know, pick up the, the, the general story and <laughs> he gets, he, he winds up latching on to this moment. And uh, making it very much about that and starting this maelstrom around them that leads them into the next stage. Absolutely right. Well, one other thing that factors into the uh, political and relational climate of the play is that Lissa is like the great, great granddaughter of President Ulysses S. Grant. And that plays a role. It's interesting. It doesn't. It doesn't play as much of a role maybe as it could, but it comes up a lot in conversations. One of the things that comes up is they have a letter from Ulysses S. Grant to his uh, wife, I believe, or maybe at the time she was not his wife, um, but uh, writings that he did during the Civil War. Um, And then at the end of the play, the father has another letter from Ulysses S. Grant that he reads in kind of encouragement. And while that's just – it sort of just serves to – enrich the lives of the characters. I'm interested in that, Jackson. Why include that? I mean, why, why, I don't want to say distract, but why add this other layer on top of a play that has already got so many layers and plots to manage? I mean, there's 
already questions of infidelity, infertility, liberalism, feminism, relationship, um, uh, whether you're going to succeed in life or fail in life, being a good parent. There's already just about everything you could write a play on <laughs> in this play. Maybe there's not murder in this play, I don't think. Um, but save that, we get a lot of the rest of human life. Yeah. Um, the bad parts, anyway. So what what is it about including Ulysses S. Grant? Because I'm a little confused about it. It, it. it doesn't seem as important, maybe, as it could be. Yeah, it's it's not leaned on a lot. It it seems almost like that weird family quirk thing, or maybe maybe not a weird family quirk. They they seem to have some pride in that they are affiliated or descended from Grant in some way. But also, it comes back to bite them in other scenes. Um, and Grant is, you know, not a. They say they say in the play that amongst the presidents, he is like second to last amongst the the polled people's favorite presidents of all time. And there was plenty of problems with him as yeah, a president. The drinking and the cronyism yeah. and the, just, you know, how he basically failed reconstruction. Yeah. All <laughs> kinds of great stuff that Grant did. <laughs> great stuff, Grant. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I think I agree. I think that, um, there's, there's so many, so many plots running around, but then it, without that, there's a, and this is way too early to talk about it, but there are some really touching moments that the Grant, uh, uh, history winds up bringing up, especially with her father. He reads her a poem, not a poem, a letter that Grant wrote <laughs> for, to his daughter. And she correctly observes that her, his daughter turned out awfully in the end. So it's kind of a turn on its head moment as well. But there, he is. It's. I agree that there's a lot of weight, and I don't have weight at given to the Ulysses S. Grant plotline in multiple scenes. They talk about the letter that's upstairs, and they continue to go upstairs and look at the letter. Yeah, that you, gosh, that, that happens like three times, but we never see it. Yeah, I, I think at one time it is quoted. Um, but it's sort of, it's not like a, a hinge point of the scene. It's sort of a flippant quote to say, oh, yeah, we have this letter upstairs. It says, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Um, I my, think it is. To, I think it's definitely there. There is what I did get from it, though, is the sense that this family is steeped in American history. And right, they're they're as American as it gets. Really, yeah. um, they ha they definitely have ancestry back to Ulysses S. Grant, presumably some prior to that, even as well. I guess I personally I don't know my Grant history real well. Right, so I, I couldn't tell you <laughs> if <laughs> where in his lineage there were immigrants, um, but that does come up a lot. That like he's he's their their family has been here for generations. For me, I think the best the best moment where the Grant back the grant family background touches the plot is in a it's in the second interview where Lissa and her family are trying to reconstruct her bid for surgeon general a little bit after the terrible first interview and so the the people in the interview are her father the senator again and Lissa and then Walter um and at one point I believe um, Alan talks about Ulysses S. Grant and talks about how he had, you know, there were a lot of problems with Ulysses S. Grant, as we've talked about, and all the sort of bad things that came with it. But there were also all these ways in which he progressed American society and where he was sort of a hinge point for getting America as it is today. And his point is sort of, look, people are complicated like that. We do good things and we do bad things. Um, we're not going to be able to be perfect all the time. We're not even maybe going to be able to be good all the time, but we are we're a sort of a complicated mess of humanity that, you know, people like this is Alan, the center talking people like my daughter can go on to do really good things. What is really fascinating about that is this is a tiny thing that she did <laughs> that everyone is focusing on it being wrong. I mean, Yes, yes, she yeah, missed the <laughs> It's the hinge point of political optics, isn't it? It's just like yeah. the perfect example. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, Grant running whiskey and having <laughs> cronies, she missed a jury duty. And and it just right. blows and, and, up and, completely. And her husband had talked about how, like, because she was so busy doing lectures and teaching and, and being an, an established um, in the medical field and being a mother and being a good wife, all this kinds of stuff, all the stuff that she has to juggle. She has missed a lot of jury duties, but she's always gone with all of her excuses and her lecture schedule and her flight, you know, gone to prove that she couldn't be there. And so this is yeah. the one that she accidentally misplaced. Yeah. 
It's just so it's like know, it's clear that she cares about jury duty. Right. She's gone every other time the previous she could be there. This was so clearly an accident. Mm-hmm. It's just latching on to that one point. And she has she has a really great monologue about that in general. The last the last two scenes of the play. She finally lets loose. And Lissa, in general, throughout this play, she is kind of depicted as, you know, kind of grew up in the 70s, sort of on the cusp between feminism and housewife uh, mentality. And she is she rides that line for most of the play. She is a very politically, optically good uh, uh, or not good, uh, clean, let's say, uh, individual for most of the play. And then finally in the last scene, uh, Timber, uh, the, the, the reporter, really just latches onto something. He, <laughs> I got to talk about that in a minute, uh, latches onto something and gets her to um, reveal more of her true uh, feelings about this stuff. And it is a really great monologue about how unfair the treatment of women are in politics as opposed to men with the same in the same vein. I mean, for heaven's sake, her father just compared her to Ulysses S. Grant (laughs) (laughs) and and whiskey running as compared to missing jury duty. And and that actually you you, you've inspired in me a thought about the Grant relationship. Perhaps one of the commentaries, I mean what what we've said so far I think is that the play's not maybe uh, political in the sense that it, it is trying to make a political left or right statement. I think it definitely makes some statements about feminism and about the treatment of women, however. And one of them might be, look, there was this guy who was a terrible person by <laughs> most accounts. <laughs> Did a lot of bad things. Yeah. Um and grew and is president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, was president of the United States. And history may not remember him, you know, they may remember him as the Less of the less of the presidents, but he still had this huge impact in American history. Whereas Lissa is this, you know, hardworking woman and doctor and all these great things, and she is not going to be allowed to have the impact in history that Ulysses S. Grant was, despite the fact that she's in in a, in so many ways a better person, um, yeah. in so many ways a better candidate, and all and her transgressions as compared to Grant are negligible. So there's something in there. It's, it's almost like the reverse of the gender pay gap, right? It's like Grant right. can do all these terrible things and still succeed and, and women make this one small mistake and can't be allowed to succeed is, is maybe one of the commentaries as it relates to Ulysses S. Grant because they could have picked any president if it was just about that. Right. Absolutely. And what is what is kind of the unique experience here is we've all, uh, you know, this this argument could go either way, and there's always some ambiguity when this argument gets uh, exercised in real life. But this t- in this instance, we see behind the curtain, like everyone around her, all information given to us about Lissa is that this is like apparently the one thing in her life that could actually be bad enough for the media to grab onto, and yet it does. And that that inherently, that unfair nature is kind of what we are forced to look at via this this frame that we are presented with. Right. And, and Lissa is, um, a marvel for most of the play in the way that she controls herself, that she, um, has confidence, that she works hard to get this job that she really wants, that she deserves. She is handling a lot um, you know, one of the things that the play does is just pile as yeah. much on her as she can. Let, let's maybe like catch some of those things that are piled on her. Um, first, maybe and foremost, she catches her <laughs> husband in kissing a former student of his in the living room. Yeah. Um, that that just happens in the play. Yeah. <laughs> and just... it is remarked on like maybe three more times in the yeah. course of the script. <laughs> In the yeah, just that happens in the course of it, and it's almost it's it's treated so quickly that on the page at least you could you could add a lot of weight to it if you're actually doing it on stage. But on the page, it's like whoa, we're not gonna we're not gonna lay. We're into not that gonna talk bit. about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? 
And then uh, her her best friend, her longtime since they were kids friend, mm-hmm. is um, this uh, Judith Co- Judith Kaufman. We talked about her a little bit. She's the oncology doctor, and she is trying desperately to have a child, going mm-hmm. through all of this treatments and uh, different fertilization techniques to have a kid, and can't. Is you know middle aged and single, been divorced, um, and so she's bringing a lot of that to Lissa. Yeah. Um, um, what well, so her her father is recently remarried for yeah the is this fourth, fourth I wife I think it's fourth yep so and they are like they come into the first interview just back from their honeymoon mm-hmm. so they're like really recently <laughs> married yep. and then uh, you know her close family friend uh, basically betrays her um, in in a moment with in a very high stakes moment so and all sides of her it's all crumbling around <laughs> you know she is she is uh beset with trials throughout this play in the middle of a maelstrom she has uh the she has people who are supporting her but they're not their their individual actions are not helping the situation <laughs> no and and all of the characters around her clearly love her and try to support her and care about her in their own way even the former student who walter kisses is uh is a really activist and speaker in the feminist community and and speaks a lot about gender and is a writer um and and even she cares about listening in her own way she mostly cares about this as a feminist icon but Mm -hmm. she's not wishing her harm she's even actively trying to work towards her good um but all of these people while they try to put their efforts towards Lissa's good are simultaneously part of the pile Um, right they bring their own things to her that that weighed her down yeah the frenzy that revolves around it i wanted to talk just a little bit about because all these characters they all seem to be they're all affecting the situation and uh there is some talk of loyalty within the play so i wanted to ask you um what do you think the uh the contrast is between loyalty and maybe ambition, or do you think that there might be another word that that or another uh, line of thought that is the contrast to loyalty within this play? Well, I think that there's maybe a contrast between loyalty and self-interest. Mm. Um, both Quincy Quince and Quincy Quince is the. Am I saying that right, or is it Quince Quincy? I think it's Quincy uh, Quince. Yeah, I think so. Let me check. But yeah. Um, she is the former student that we've been talking about, this huge icon and speaker. She apparently recently wrote this book that's like sweeping the world about gender studies and, and feminism. Um, she has some loyalty to Walter, who was her teacher, and she supposedly – one of the questions for her is does she have loyalty to other women in the play um, or is she is she only aimed at her self-interest? And then we have sort of on the other side, Moro, this longtime friend, um, ultra-conservative, who is um, – his the question is what where is his loyalty lie? Apparently they've been friends forever. Um, Walter calls Moro f- something like family, um, but when it comes down to it, he chooses um, sort of the bite back that doesn't hurt his fr- that uh, hurts his friends instead of uh, a more mild response. Then there's questions of of Walter. He you know long time married family, um, really politically optic family, really out there. Um, so for that marriage to fall apart would mean a lot for their political lives and their careers. Um, and clearly the two love each other, I think, as well. But his loyalty is starting to fade as his you know, age and the length of their marriage um, weighs on him. What's Where does his self-interest lie? Then there's, of course, the senator father, right? If he's a conservative uh, congressman. How can he support the nomination of a liberal surgeon general who is pro-choice, who yeah. is for national health care? Um, where does his support for his family versus his political life come in? Interestingly, his his new wife, Chubby, um, her name's <laughs> Chubby. She's it's, yeah, it's, it's a whole or, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Read the play. <laughs> yeah, she's really thin. <laughs> so they, her, they call her Chubby. Um, she has uh, and one of the maybe the most the more profound things to say about it. I think um, they're about to go into the second interview, and Chubby and Lissa have sort of a moment alone. And Chubby's advice is: Look, you gotta protect what's important to you. Because this will happen or it won't. The interview will go well or it won't. But at the end, you got to come back to yourself, to your family. And if that is in shambles now, there's nothing to come back to. So you need to protect your family. And then Chubby looks at her and says, and if you don't, I'll sure as hell protect mine. 
Yeah. As if to say, look, if you're not willing to do what's needful here, um, I'm married to your father, not to you. So my loyalty is to him. Yeah. And that's where my first order of protection lies. There's also the loyalty to viewpoints that all of them are dealing with on top of it. And it, and, and it, I think what is interesting to me is you see there's a scenes between Quincy and Morrow and they're all on, on different TV shows and they're talking to people. And I think that's where you see another instance of this is that both of them want Lissa to succeed ultimately, but you see them arguing at various times. You can't tell who they're arguing for. <laughs> right. You, yes. you generally get the idea that, you know, Quincy is kind of in her court, but she is also very willing to spin this however it is to make her look strong as a result of this. And and to make her look smart. Um, she's yeah. got a lot to say about what happens with Lissa and how the establishment is treating her and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And you don't know. I mean, that that comes from her. You get the feeling that it comes from her furthering her career. Yeah, You know, the more that there is to talk about in terms of gender studies and the way the establishment is treating this feminist icon, this hardworking woman, um, the more that Quincy has to talk about and to get paid to talk and write about. Mm-hmm. And Morrow is is very similar, though he though he professes that he wants uh, the best for Lissa and he's just trying to cover for her. Uh, I think he tells Walter that he was he was he, he brought that around to the best way that it could have gone. He goes on the shows and kind of doesn't pull any punches off of her. He he rides the wave of the media maelstrom and tries to make his own personality look good as a result of it as well. So and it's, and I mean, if you haven't read the play and all you've heard is our podcast, um, Morrow is probably being painted in it in the worst possible light. Yeah. He has some redeeming moments later Absolutely, in the play. Yeah. He really try he tries to make up for it. It's. It's said that it's pretty clear when he goes on the shows that he's on Lissa's side and how that's a that's a really good thing. It's um he he has a great scene where he talks about how he, you know he's sorry that it happened. He really had no idea that it would happen. Um so he, he's not maybe he doesn't come off maybe as bad in the scope of the play right. as maybe we're making him to play, but it does seem to be sort of his fault <laughs> at least yeah. initially that all this stuff happened. Well, certainly that it got so out of control and maybe he and I don't think he certainly deserves the full brunt of maybe uh, our our criticism here. And and so if you're, if you're hearing that, don't because you should read the play and, and find out more about him. But uh, yeah. interestingly, this, this is a question that I have for you, Jackson. So Morrow comes. He's a conservative uh, a mouthy conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a lot to say. And he is invited to an interview with a liberal Surgeon General nominee. For what reason? <laughs> Walter invites him and yeah. doesn't really say why other than, oh, Moro's family. Right. What in the world? Is Walter inviting this guy to this interview for? How could it have ever gone well? Yeah, that is one of the the bigger. There, are, there. I think that is kind of indicative of some of the flippant treatment that some people uh, push toward Lissa, despite her rank and level of respect. Um, he just, she even voices some concern about having him over, and Walter. Con- for for this interview time for this brunch and Walter convinces her otherwise. Um and you see this across a couple different characters. Uh Walter so that's an instance of Walter doing it. Judith um kind of comes in and is kind of regardless of her she the first thing she does is she comes in and she brings another report a different report for her to read on a day that is really important to her and has other things going on uh, with with her nomination to Surgeon General, you see a lot of nicknames and not necessarily professional ones used around uh, for her. Um, uh, Lizard and Mousy, I think, is the other one that uh, her dad calls her uh, throughout the interview process. So there, I don't know why Walter does it, but it certainly doesn't... See if you can... See see how you feel about this. Um, yeah. Well, firstly, who is the first one to bring up the missing jury duty notice? Walter. Walter. Yeah. There is some questions for Walter. They're not especially seriously treated 
um, about whether, well, yeah, okay. Does Walter really want Lissa to succeed? Hmm. Uh, let's say that probably on the conscious level he does. Um, he loves her. There's not much to indicate that he's like plotting against her. But is there a part of Walter that does not want this to happen? I think Walter is – we haven't spent enough time and I'm glad you brought him, brought him up because he is this, this uh, odd character in here that is very forwardly for her or – um, the facade he is very for her, but I think you're right. I think there's something a little bit more so insidious that he doesn't even know it's happening, that he is um, having some real problems with this. He talks about he hasn't written anything in four years after his big book. And um, right, and he kind of says it as a joke. He jokes a couple yeah. times throughout the play about how he's kind of hackneyed and old news now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's kind of spinning his wheels, uh, some of his, even some of his lines about his book. He's a little bit self-derogatory about them. Um, he's uh, derogatory towards feminism, which is uh, the movement that he wrote the book about <laughs> and that he had, he taught in college. Um, he thinks that, or, or he at least kind of jokingly, almost in that kind of uh, professor hypothetical that is uh, thrown out and the tone that is like, you should argue with this, but he's maybe leaning a little bit more into it, that feminism should, should have died uh, in a time back then and something new should have taken its place a long time ago. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. He is going through something and the play doesn't dig too deep into what it is um, other than these little nods towards him almost being a little petty in some scenes and, and right in in the scene before he kisses Quincy Quince, which is a huge part of this discussion too about yeah. his his you know how loyal he is to Lissa. Um, in the scene, it's the same scene, but before the kiss, Quincy asks him if he's happy, and his response is basically <laughs> to list all of the blessings in his life. Mm -hmm. um, married to a confident, you know, uh, well spoken, amazing, beautiful woman. Great kids. Um, my text, you know, my book is still a textbook in lots of things. I have a great job, blah, 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 blah. But then the end of that monologue isn't, so yes, I'm happy. The end <laughs> of the monologue is, I need a drink. Right. So <laughs> he, he's he got some stuff going on, you know, a, a more, um, a less subtle interpretation might just say, Walter's going through a midlife crisis of yeah. some sort. And to see Lissa get what should be sort of a breeze nomination um, to be Surgeon General and to have her become the more prominent spouse. Um, you get the sense that in their life that's maybe not how it has been, um, although I, I couldn't think of any specific thing where anybody said that. That is sort of the sense I get at least, that maybe in their life Walter has been the more publicly prominent spouse, a mm -hmm. brilliant lecturer and sociologist – and liberal, and, a, and a, you know, a profound and outspoken liberal. Um, but now he's sort of in the maybe the downward side of his life, and is noticing that, and is watching Lissa head towards what might be the peak of her po political or professional life to be Surgeon General. Yeah. So almost subconsciously, he starts doing these out of line things. He even like, even the stuff that he is working on, like there's at the start of it, he talks about different panels that he's going to and, and kind of, and, and this is just kind of an aside. There's this world. There's so much happening in this play. There's so many cross sections of things going on. He just mentions that he's not going to the panel tonight. Um, and, or, or he's not going to go to this talk. And she, uh, uh, Lissa replies that he, someone of us should be there in case, you know, the conversation comes up around this maelstrom that's happening. And he says, I'm not going to it. Um, and so he's, the kiss of Quincy Quince happens during the interview. During the, yeah. yeah I mean, it's not, it's not on camera. It's in a different room. The interviews yeah. move to a different room. And him and Quincy are kind of cleaning up post, mm -hmm. post the living room, part of the living room. But that with cameras and political optics all pointed at them that's when he decides to do it you can't see me right now but my arms are waving <laughs> I mean, that's insane if you want your wife to succeed and to get this job all she has to do is get through a breeze interview yeah without mm -hmm. anything terrible happening and you make out with your former student in the same house <laughs> yeah yeah it's almost like he's not in he's not in control of himself <laughs> 
Uh, yes. he, he even says that actually about that kiss. He said it just happened, which is you know, maybe a trite line, something we've heard of heard before from uh, this this sort of a scene. But it just happened. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and of course, it does. And I'm I'm interested in what you think it does mean because then later in the play, Lissa asks Walter if he slept with her. And mm-hmm. we don't get a we don't he doesn't say yes or no out loud. I'm interested in whether you think the answer is yes or no. I'm quick, I'm a quick flip to those actual lines so we can get them yeah, here. Yep, yep. Um, but off the cuff, what is your, what's your interest? What what's your thought? I think so. So the scene that he says it doesn't mean anything is right before she forces not forces him, but she tells him to go take her home, to take uh, Quincy home, and he leaves. He does. Um, eventually because, uh, he, he objects at first, but he winds up taking her home and there was certainly time for that to happen. Did you find the lines? I did. Yeah. I did. So yeah, it's yeah. late in the play after the interview has gone terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, the second interview, this is the one that really ends all things. She's going to call the president and withdraw cause the interview was so bad. Um, and so after that, everybody's gone. It's just Lissa and Walter. Uh, Lissa says, it, well, what happened? You know, what were you seem to like Quincy? Did you actually sleep with her? Um, and Walter's response is, why did you wait until just now to ask me that? And she says, she makes a joke, I was busy with jury duty. <laughs> right. Um, and then Walter says, I'm sorry. And she says, me too. So, yeah. I mean, but to my mind, that's a yes. I think but it I is But I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure of that, I guess. Right. It's not really clear, but then there is. Because there it's are not some... especially, it's especially not clear because they don't seem to be getting a divorce. But I mean, there the is next that scene, scene is, in the next scene. They're kind of, it's it's wandering in that direction, right? Like there's a lot at stake if they do get a divorce, both uh, professionally and politically. Um, but she says, I'm going to be here tomorrow, but I'm not sure, I can't tell you about the next day. Um or, and, or and, she, I don't think that she goes that far, but you're right. He does. He is he has decided to leave for the panel, and he says, "I don't really want to go to this panel. I'm not sure if you'll be here when I get home." And she says, "Well, where else would I go? Um, don't worry, I will be here when you get home." Mm-hmm. So you're right. That's true. They do have a. There is some thought towards is Lissa going to leave him? Right. She seems to say for the moment, no. Yeah, I I, I think I would agree with that. I think. But I think I think there is there is more than just a kiss that has happened between. And do you Quincy think it's Walter. happened? So you think it happens when he drives her back to the hotel? Um, What's interesting that one seems sort of odd because she because Liz is the one who told him to drive her back to the hotel. This yeah. is uh, earlier in the play. After Lissa has caught them kissing, after the first interview's gone badly, um, Lissa says, "Why don't you just drive Quincy back to the hotel?" And uh, I'm I'm going to swear here, so to all of our uh, listeners who prefer that I didn't, I'm sorry, but it's the joke. Um, <laughs> there's a great play on words, and she and uh, Walter says, "I don't want to drive fucking Quincy home and get all upset about it." And then Lissa goes, "Hmm, fucking Quincy. I wonder how all this started." <laughs> like using yeah. the word in a different way, which is a, yep. I think a very funny play on words. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a suggestion of like, well, you should take her back to the hotel. Um, you should just go be with her. And he, they have an argument about it. And I, I think he decides to do it to, to at least drive her home. Yeah. Um, so that's when you think it happened. Uh, I'm inclined to think that way. Um, there's also just, just as a, as another flavor for that, she is very conscious of what she is doing. That scenario. She tells Timber, I am, I just, you know, I just finished baiting my husband off into the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, uh, so I, I think if there was a time for the perfect amount of, uh, situ- situational, uh, if there was a time for things to line up for that to happen, it was that moment. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to a different, um, a topic that I'm interested in. Um, Timber Tucker, he's the TV reporter. He, what, what's, where, where's his motivations in this, Jackson? What he, uh, on the one hand, he is, um, maybe played or portrayed as sort of the reporter, um, mm-hmm. trying to get at the truth, get at the real stuff. 
And so when the first interview goes badly, Lissa says, well, could you could you please not use this? And Timber sort of gets kind of high and haughty, like, right. uh, uh, oh, are you asking me to not use information that I have because I don't like it? That's not ethical as a journalist. <laughs> and she says, oh, well, you gotta, I guess you got to do what you got to do. But I'm interested because then a few scenes later, Moro, who would know, Moro's in television and uh, news and in screenwriting and, and in sort of that sort of world, Moro indicates that he honestly could have chosen not to use it. Um, Moro says, you know, he really didn't have to use that footage. That was sort of spiteful. Then, even later in the play, Quincy, who is maybe going to get on the, the TV channel, says, I heard that your show was kind of failing before this whole Lissa Hughes scandal broke. So what's going on there? Is this Does Tucker have some sort of larger game that he's playing with, with Lissa Hughes in her life? I think absolutely. He's, he's, he's certainly – he has some journalistic tendencies. He is asking good questions and he's pursuing what he perceives as a good, you know, kind of – uh, whatever the truth is, and he's not afraid to go for it. But I think he is absolutely um, needing this moment, and that's kind of why he bulldogs it. Um, he needs this for the ratings for his show to survive. Uh, yeah, Quincy has that line where she asks, says, "I'm pretty sure your show was tanking before this whole thing came up. Are are you? Is your show still going to be around? Should I apply for this job on your channel?" And um, I forget his response, but it's something derogatory. Um, and I, th- I'm a little split on whether you know whether just to hate him or not because he se- <laughs> <laughs> because he seems to be. It's it's hard to fault someone for just doing their job well, and he when he's not on camera and not really trying to pull the truth out of of people and in this case that he's just pulling out the truth he's spinning it horribly and you know occasionally saying things uh leading uh, sentences to Lissa and reframing her beliefs in in ways that are maybe unethical but off camera he is uh at least cordial um, right and he even tries to offer her some sort of semblance of advice yeah. on what to do how to sort of weather the storm that's coming down the pipe I think is what he says. Mm-hmm. Um and I I think I'm I'm trying to decide whether I agree with Moro. Having not come from the TV news world and not being a journalist myself, I'm not I couldn't quote exactly what journalist obligations are, but it doesn't seem like it's necessary for for Timber to choose to uh, use those segments, especially when the 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 crime is so slight. Yeah, it's a it's a small accident that happened a while ago, um, and is not really that big of a deal. I don't I don't think in our anybody reading the play would would like side against Lissa that she accidentally forgot to respond to a jury duty notice, and so she shouldn't be Surgeon General. Right. That seems like Timber might be deciding to take something that he knows could be a big deal if he blew it up and blow it up. Yeah. And but he links it. But I could it, be wrong. Well, and he links it. I mean, it feels like he got enough in that interview to make it happen. And so he linked a bunch of stuff together. Because you mentioned before that there is, that's not the only thing. They also spin out the kind of offhand comment that she makes about her mom and making frozen cakes. And uh, and they spin it as maybe she wasn't, you know, being uber positive in the moment about her mom, but they really spin it as she was being derogatory about that way of life. And and people who adhere to that way of life and those choices took it as an assault on their way of, of living. So that didn't just happen. Like, I, I think I think if you took one or the other of those, you wouldn't be able to add enough weight into a segment to fo- focus on it. But instead, he gathered... In, in the one to two minutes that he said he was going to use from the the interview at their home, those were two of the things that made it into that interview. And this is, I mean, this this channel is not a a huge channel necessarily. I think it has it has a smaller name. It's something like Live right. Wire. I mean, it was, or something it was like tanking. That. 
Yeah, and it, and they're covering the Surgeon General, like in-depth interview with the Surgeon General. How many times have you seen an interview really? with the Surgeon General? <laughs> Especially about like a soon-to-be Surgeon General. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, I mean, I know it's like a, it's a politically crazy time right now, but like even now, I didn't pay attention to the confirmation hearings for the Surgeon General. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, so not to discount the job, but no, just to no. discount how much people pay attention to like those proceedings about the job. Yeah, and the size of of his show and what I mean, this was probably a big gig for him, and his show yeah, don't, is tanking. Don't they say that Timber Tucker's like a friend of the president or something? Isn't that yeah. why they gave him the interview? I kind of remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I think he I, I think he saw uh, mm, political and PC and uh, p- political um, mm, and news media frenzy worthy material, and he went for it, and he. And whether that's reprehensible or not is not what this play is dealing with, really. And, it doesn't yeah, and feel it, like. it's hard for us to judge that. It, yeah. I, and, and and what's also true is that he did – I mean, that stuff happened. It's not like he prompted right. that, that, that those those things to happen. But he did pounce on what could be a story. Um, and in, in doing so, maybe he's not personally responsible, but he did make a decision that caused somebody's life to fall apart. Yeah. Um, a little bit at least. Or, you know, maybe her life didn't fall apart. Maybe she just didn't get this job. That's maybe one of the questions at the end of the play is how bad are things really mm-hmm. um, now that she didn't get this job? Well, we, we don't have a ton of time left. Uh, yeah. I think there's one character we haven't talked a ton about. Yes. Um, so do you want to jump in and talk a little bit about Dr. Judith Kaufman? Yeah. Uh, Judith is is a character who comes through, I think, at three different times, three or four different times within this play in, in a couple different scenes. And um, she is a, a, an African-American uh, who doctor and oncologist and a uh, someone of the Jewish faith. Um, and Jewish um, ethnicity, I think, too, right? Her, yeah. I believe it's her father is a Jew and her mother is African-American. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Do you think I have I, that right? I think that's correct, yep. And uh, throughout the play, she is coming in and out of uh, going to it's it's the new year, and so there's a, a good deal of Jewish festivals happening, at least two within the space of this this play that she mentions going to, and um, and she kind of comes through the scene as she is uh, dealing with she is trying she's trying to get pregnant, she wants to have a child, and so she's going through fertilization treatments and uh, and uh, trying to. Um, she, she's already, her marriage has ended previous. I'll go back a little bit, give you a little bit more context. She was married to a man who turned out to be gay and he is out in Seattle now and has a relationship. And so she is trying to get, uh, pregnant via, what's the word for that? I'm I mean, I, I think she's trying moment. through a bunch of different techniques. She yeah. has been trying, I think they say for five years with yeah. different hormones. She's uh, got different like sperm donors. Um, all kinds of different stuff to try to get pregnant. And this is kind of her last try. That's yeah. what we get at this in this play is that she is going to – She, I think she's actually prior to the play had the treatment that is going to be her last try. And mm-hmm. she's going in to see if it worked in sort of the last third of the play. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a big scene where she comes in from a festival of – I think it's the festival of – it's a festival about uh, admitting to regrets that you had in the last year. I'm f- I'm forgetting the name. I I apologize. But uh, and sending you you send out uh, breadcrumbs into the river and send them out to sea and you put your regrets on them and and you confess them in in a way. Um, and she she talks about that experience for her and she winds up jumping into the river and saying that she tried to kill herself. Turns out she could swim, but uh, <laughs> she uh, she jumps into the river and has this kind of almost holy experience as she comes out of the water and realizes that she is still, she still wants to live more. And it's not just about what happened to her prior to that, but then she kind of crashes into the scene with this story uh, of, of this experience that she had during this festival. And I don't, it's, what do you think? Why do you think her relationship with Lissa is in this play without, without uh, going too much further. Why do why do you think it's there at all? Yeah, I think that's exactly the right question. Sort of like the Ulysses S. Grant stuff. It's not 
really integral to the plot as it stands. It's a subplot and a pretty separate subplot, honestly, um, from what else is going on in the story. Um, She kind of just comes through and tells us about this other plot that she has going on somewhere else and and interacts. Um, Part of it is – it's it's part of the stuff that piles on to Lissa. Um, mm-hmm. She also has a friend who, um, you know, is is a longtime friend. They care for each other deeply and should be in the best world the person who's helping to support her through this crazy process. But has her own stuff going on and so can't really adequately adequately do that. She tries. She gives an interview at the end. Um, she is you know, is willing to do that. She talks to us a little bit about it. But a lot of the discussions that they have are kind of about her. Um, mm-hmm. And at one point, Judith even says to Lisa, you know, you, you don't really know what it is to want something this badly. You've had everything forever. You know, I mean, your father's been a, a well-known politician, fairly wealthy politician for your whole life. Um, this is, you know, I want to have a child after having a hard life and you don't, you can't access that in the same way that I can. So there's some, there's some, um, like Judith's, some of what Judith tries to do as a character is put things in perspective for Lissa, um, as, as a friend. And she also, I mean, that defense, that interview she does with Timber is probably the best defense anyone gives Lissa throughout this play. It is well thought through, measured, and with great points. And Timber, you get the sense that Timber is not going to use any of this. And maybe this is a bit a bit more of the reprehensible right. part of Timber is he gets the end of the interview is like, well, you were well prepared. Um, thank you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's like, we don't need to do a second shot. We don't need to do any of this stuff. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I think part of what Judith does for me is the scenes that she's in have a kind of weight that deal with um, something more than just a career. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a really weighty subplot about, uh, you know, whether or not she's going to be able to be a mother, whether one of the dreams of her life is going to be possible, whether she can, um, you know, do all this and – Gosh, I should look up the lines. There's a great set of lines, um, I believe, right before the act break, um, where they kind of her and her and Lissa go back. Um, she so uh, this is right after uh, Judith has come in and she's been on the river um, and she's she's talked about how she's she's got all this stuff going on. Um, and Lissa basically says, um, you know, <laughs> look, I got my own stuff going on right now. Right. I can't deal with this too right now. Um, and Lissa and, and Judith says, you know, this, like I said, the, the line about you don't know what it is to want. And Lissa's response is, what gives you the audacity to believe you failed if you can't make life or stop death? Um, and, and Judith's response is about how that's what she grew up believing she could do. Um, so some of Judith's story is about growing up and realizing that you can't have, you can't achieve, you can't do all the things that you wanted to do. And she feels like a failure because she's been unable to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is, I agree, a very grounding in the midst of this crazy maelstrom of different uh, viewpoints and opinions and stuff like that. She is She is a really grounding, but there's real problems out there. And in in the midst of this, everyone freaking out about – and this – I mean this is clearly a big problem for Alyssa. Yeah, not not that this isn't a real problem. No. But it it, it almost – Judah's story is almost – and they actually reflect on this a little bit. Um, It's almost the same story as Alyssa's in sort of like a meta plot level. Um, Like someone who has tried so desperately to achieve what they want to achieve out of their life Mm. and and fails at it Um, or at least – I mean it's hard to say Judith failed at it because it was just a physical thing. But it was not able to achieve it. Um, And and interestingly, they're they're sort of what they're after is reversed, right? Because um, Lissa is trying so desperately to achieve this career career high, this to be Surgeon General. What a great thing to do with your life. Um, But she's already had a couple of kids. And so that part of her life – had been fairly easily succeeded 
succeeded. She seems to be a great mother. They have a fairly happy family. Mm -hmm. Um, But she can't – what she ends up failing at is achieving this sort of career, um, this big life moment. Mm -hmm. Judith, by the reverse point, um, is a well-known senior doctor at an oncology unit, Um, clearly is passionate about what she does, Um, loves her job, has achieved what she I think would say is maybe her career high to uh, be the leader of a team uh, devoted to curing breast cancer. What she can't do is achieve this sort of uh, family stuff. Um, it, you know, some of what the play comments on is what society tries to do to women who can't, who try to have it all. You know, for men, having a career and a happy family, um, and a, you know, have been sort of par for the course for centuries. Yeah. Um, and and this play talks about what it what it what is the cost of a woman trying to be not just a, not just have a career but have a successful career, be Surgeon General, be the leading team in an oncology unit, you know, be these high profile, high stakes positions that are you know really important and uh, something you can really look back on and you know what these women really want, and also to try to have this sort of broad and sweeping and and beautiful personal life. Um, with kids that love you. And and the play doesn't have a, a terribly bright outlook of yeah. what society does to women who try to have it all, quote unquote. Yeah. As a way of kind of, I know we're, we're running out of time towards the end of this, but as, as a way of kind of leading into that and leaning into that as well, there's, there's, I'm just going to breeze through this real quick because I think you're, you're spot on with that. And, and the, and what do you do when you realize that that has happened? What do you do when you realize you weren't able to achieve what you are had set out to achieve? Even though there are other things that you've achieved, the thing that you didn't get or or accomplish, what do you do as a result of that? There's there's a, kind of a, a, a motto or a saying that uh, Lissa's father, Alan, says uh, a couple times throughout the play and refers to, and it's uh, shoot cattle or run for Congress. Um, and he brings it back up towards the end of the of the play. He says he's he's getting at this time rather than running for re-election, he's decided to shoot the cattle instead of running for Congress. And he is saying that he's you know giving up on this. He's going to go home and stay away from politics for a while. And it's kind of it to me. It suggested the two the two choices, right? Keep pushing or give up. And Lissa talks about I gave up is 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 how she chooses to term when she calls the president and withdraws her her or offers her resignation for the position of surgeon general and but I think what is suggested and and that there is a third option because we see both we are fortunate to see that Judith failed in her attempt to drown herself and she is continuing her life um, and her her treatment to try to get pregnant has also failed. Not that she's yes. failed in that, but that that has failed her. Um, mm-hmm. And she has chosen to go back to work. In fact, that's what her, her last thing that she says is, um, you know, I, I've decided that I'm going back to work. I, I can't stay and hang out with you tonight. Listen, I'm sorry. Um, yep. I've gotten the answer to my prayers. Whether or not I can have a child, the answer was no. So what am I going to do? I'm going back to work. That's sort mm-hmm. of the, that's what I prefer to do. And that's, and that is also what we see Lissa do in that last scene. Her father, her, her father leaves, and uh, the, her 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 boys who are never on stage are upstairs, kind of calling down different news and updates on the situation and the the fallout of her resigning. And she sits down and she gets back to work. She starts reading the report that Judith brought her at the beginning of the play about cancer in Long Island, and um and so so in that way you see both of those two characters having failed to achieve or having their pursuits fail them uh, uh, semantically, um, you see both of them say, okay, that's done. There's more work to do. And, 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 maybe, this, and maybe this idea of um, you know, perseverance or giving up also relates to what we talked about a little earlier about the idea of loyalty and self uh, or mm. – uh, uh, pursuit of self-interest because, like you've said, her father decides not to run for re-election. And there is the implication, even maybe more than implication, that he does that because of this fallout. Yeah. Um, and his decision is that he's, you know, he would maybe be painted as, quote, giving up. But another way to paint that is that this situation has been painful for his family and his daughter and that he's chosen loyalty to his family over the pursuit of his own career. 
Um, yep. Loyalty to his family over loyalty to his job. Loyalty to his family over loyalty to his ideals. Um, and he he actually has a little bit of a speech about that, about how American politics anymore isn't about loyalty to ideals. It's about loyalty to what your voters like um, and, yeah. and, and what can get you reelected. Um, and so there's some of that in it too about, you know, ultimately where are you going to place your loyalty and place your perseverance? Um, Lissa's is in public health. Um, she is clearly passionate and knowledgeable about that. And so when push comes to shove and she can't have what she wanted, um, which is to be Surgeon General, she still is devoted to the cause of public health. Um, Walter's loyalty as a husband is seriously questioned. When he can't have what he wanted out of his career, he starts to translate that to not being able to get what he wanted out of his family and so starts to look for that kind of gratification in someone else. Mm-hmm. Judith has similar uh, a similar journey in the play. Yeah, so it winds up being I mean it's it's too much just to say that the ending is is strictly hopeful, but certainly there is an uplifting end to it. You don't get the sense that this has utterly destroyed Lissa. It has certainly been a time of of conflict and hardship, but she is still uh, <laughs> she is she is still carrying on as a result or, of or, it rather or than that it's it's not destroyed the whole of her. Yeah. That, that that not being able to achieve that part of what she wanted to do with her life and for the world, that was destroyed um, pretty publicly and yeah. in a way that her father says history will remember. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's not the whole of her life or the whole of her ideals or the whole of her loyalty. Um, it is to a higher and better thing than what she wanted in that moment. Yeah. Well – I think we got to wrap up. There's there's so much in this play. There's stuff we didn't get to talk about. More themes, more you know, focusing on some of the characters a little bit more. Um, I think we we covered a good deal of them. But there's there's so much in this play. I absolutely recommend reading it if you can see it. I imagine it's a complicated show to do. It's you know a lot of characters, a lot of lines, um, and and you but, know, wow, it has a lot to say about American political life right now. We didn't really <laughs> do the political side of it that much. Yep. Um, but there to see this play done in this era of politics would be, I think, really remarkable for what it has to say about that. And especially in like the wake of the Me Too movement yeah. um, and, the, and our, uh, more, our new awakening um, to this sort of hidden reality of uh, the way that women are treated. It would be fun to see a, a little bit of, you know, just about a decade's worth of anachronism in it to bring, see what you could do to bring it into this. It was written in 96, so performed then, but what, what you would have to do to bring it into this century. Um and, and the current cycle would be really fun to see someone do and put together. So definitely recommend reading it, watching it, whatever you can do with it. Um, and if you have any extra thoughts after after having read it and would like to carry on the conversation with someone or anyone, uh, we absolutely would love to hear your thoughts. We ha- are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, No Script the Podcast. We also have a email as well at noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. And please, if you if, if you want to have more conversation with us, we would love to have it with you on any of those platforms. And we are available for listen on Podbean, on Apple Podcasts. I, we, we believe at this point we will be on Spotify. We're trying. Um, we'll we're working that on that. It may have happened by now. It may not have. But we're, we're aiming towards that. If you like what you heard, um, we have a lot of other episodes out now. I believe this is, gosh, I'd have to go back and look at exactly what episode number this is anymore. Yep. Um, but we're, we're, we've got a lot of episodes. We are looking to do more scripts. So share this podcast, listen to our other stuff, um, comment, engage with us. We are, we're loving what we're doing and we're hoping you are too. Yes, indeed. So until next week, we'll be back with you with another play. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. This is No Script Podcast. We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.